0: One, two. Does it go now? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, hello, everybody. Happy Fourth of July to every single one of you. Thank you all for coming today and joining us uh, here at Encounter Church. I know some of you are busy and maybe you're watching the playback video, the live stream of this video um, And we're just so thankful, whether you're connecting now, live, or if you're here in person, Um, I know that today is 4th of July, and a lot of us have a lot of things that we could be doing, but uh, you came to the house of the Lord, and that's awesome. If you're family, that's great as well. Celebrating independence um, is a great thing to do. I think that's a Christian thing to do, because we believe that Jesus has given us all freedom, Freedom from bondage, from addiction, from sin, from illness, and all that bad stuff. Um, Today, we're going to talk about a slave and the church. A slave and the church, which is kind of interesting because today is 4th of July. We're talking about freedom and the Day of Independence. Um, On that day, we know that there were these... Leaders here in the states who believed that humans had some inalienable rights, and some of that, some of those rights included freedom. We all know, however, that not every single individual experienced that freedom. We know that this country is marked by slavery, um, and it's a very sad thing. Even though the founders, they believed. That everyone had these rights, not everyone experienced that type of freedom. That is why some people believe that the true day of freedom is Juneteenth when um, slaves experienced freedom. When the slaves in Texas, they heard about the Emancipation Proclamation that that they were actually free. So even though on 4th of July there were founders who believed that we were free, Um, not everybody experienced that freedom until Juneteenth and even now there are people who don't experience that freedom and we pray for their freedom. But for today, as I was saying before, we, we're going to look at a slave and I, I promise you it's not, it's not planned. Um, I didn't plan to talk about slavery today on 4th of July, but it's interesting how things work. Um. We're going to look at a Christian approach, at Paul's approach to a slave master and a slave, a slave master and a slave. We are continuing our study in the book of Philemon, a small book, but a powerful book. And if you have your Bibles, please open it up with me. You could also check out on your notes. It's on the back, the Bible reading. Please check that out. And go to verse 8. It's already there on your notes. Verse 8 of Philemon. I'll be reading from the NIV. And it goes like this. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I have to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Right there where you're at, if you could please close your eyes and bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that you may take over this service, that your spirit may guide my lips and that your spirit may pierce the heart of every individual here and those who are connecting online, that your spirit may open up the heart so your truth may be spoken into their lives and that their lives may forever be changed. Let us be your church. Let us be your presence in this world. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen Amen and amen. The passage that we read today, it began with a therefore. And we usually use the word therefore whenever we want to say, because of this, therefore, this. Say, for example, I, I'm saying, I want a good marriage. Then I would say, I want a good marriage. Therefore, I'm going to invest in, in my marriage. And Paul uses, therefore, in the same way. He, he gives this, these reasons, and hopefully you remember to the previous service, where, where he was so thankful about Philemon, about what he had done, how he had, had loved for the church. We see how he had faith for Christ, the person of Jesus. And we also said that he would refresh the hearts of the church. And this individual, Philemon, was a great Christian. We said that we should follow these examples of, of loving God's people, of having faith, having pistis in Jesus Christ, and refreshing the hearts. Of the church. Paul believed that this was the type of person that Philemon was, that this was his character. Therefore, he's going to make this appeal, which is the key section of the entire letter. This is the main reason why Paul is even writing this letter, and is the reason why we have it within our Bible. And within this appeal, he has two options. He has the option to do, make an authoritative, authoritative, I hope I'm spelling it right. I rely on a word checker so much, and that helps. Authoritative, I feel like this is an I, but authoritative command. He could have used his authority to make the command that he makes. Or he could have used moral authority, what we call moral authority. Okay? He could have said, I'm an apostle, right? And I command you to do what I'm asking you to do. But instead, he relies on moral authority. Another way of seeing this is seeing it as command. Versus appeal. Paul, he was an apostle, as we learned last week. He was somebody with a lot of authority within the church. He could have just said, I am an apostle, therefore, listen to what I am saying, listen to my commands. And he would do that sometimes, especially in matters of doctrine, in matters of belief. But right here, instead of using his authority as an apostle, what he does, he uses morality or he makes an appeal. And what is that appeal based on? According to the passage that we read, he said in verse nine, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. So we have Paul, who is making this appeal to Philemon, who we met last time, and it's the namesake of the letter. He makes this appeal, and this appeal is not out of command, it's not out of his authority, it's not a command, it's it's an appeal, and it's out of the basis of love. Paul, he says, I could have used my authority. I am an apostle. I could tell you what to do. But I want you to make this decision out of love. Not because I tell you to do it. And I I think we could all relate. Sometimes if, you know, your dad or maybe a pastor in the past tells you to do something and you do it. Maybe they tell you stop being bitter towards someone and you stop being bitter, which is great. But if I command you, or if a pastor, another pastor commands you, or another church leader commands you to do it, you're only doing it out of obedience. That's not what Paul wants here. He wants you to do, or Philemon in this case, he wants him to act out of the basis of love. He's basically putting the ball in his court, making him choose I should have a basketball, like putting it, but we drew it instead, which works too. (laughs) He puts the ball in his court to make the decision. He's not persuading him. Well, he does try to persuade him. He does want something specifically to happen, but he's not coercing, trying to use his authority to force Philemon to act. And what is this appeal all about? This appeal is about this individual who we haven't met yet. His name is Onesimus. And again, it's not Onesimus. It's Onesimus, even though it's spelt with one, these Greek names, Onesimus. Okay? And Onesimus somehow made his way to Paul. And we'll talk about how he made his way to Paul. But this appeal that he makes, that Paul makes concerning Philemon, it's about Onesimus. Onesimus, he found his way to Paul. Paul was in prison. And Onesimus, he became a Christian. And that means he was part of the church family. He was a Christian. And the language that he even uses, is, it's, that Paul uses about Onesimus, it's so intimate. Paul calls Onesimus, his son, that he beget him in prison. He, he, he had him while he was in prison. And that's, that's kind of interesting to think about. First of all, that talks again about the theme of, of family within the church. Paul, he would regularly call his, the, his converts, like Timothy, he would call them sons in the faith. And that's what Onesimus was. Onesimus was a son of Paul, not, not blood son, but a spiritual son, because Paul was involved in the conversion, in the adoption of Onesimus. Onesimus, he, he believed in Jesus when he met Paul while he was in prison. And that's kind of interesting because imagine evangelizing while you're in prison. How would that feel? How would that look like? That, that would be crazy because as we think about it, if you just imagine it, imagine being in prison and, you're, and somebody comes to you and you take that opportunity to preach the gospel. Like, imagine Paul speaking the gospel. He's like, hey, Onesimus, Onesimus made it. I'm in prison. I'm in jail. Could you, you know, you do, do you want to believe in Jesus? I'm in, I'm in jail because this Jesus guy, do you want to follow him? And people would say yes. That, that's very crazy because Onesimus would see Paul, and if I was him, one of my initial thoughts would be like, you're in prison and you want me to follow the guy that got you in prison? But yeah, there is something so beautiful about Jesus that even while people were in prison, Paul was in prison, people would believe still. There's something about Jesus that it doesn't matter where you're at or what you're going through. If you preach Jesus, people will follow and that, that should cause us to think, like, if, if Paul could preach about Jesus in prison, what, what is stopping us from preaching Jesus wherever we are? Whatever situation you find yourself, just as Paul, he was in prison, he says he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Just as he was able to preach about Jesus and have a convert when he was in prison, Onesimus converted. How is that possible? Again, there's something beautiful that it doesn't matter whether you are in prison or not. Jesus is so much better. Something that you might not know from the name Onesimus that is not so clear and visible right away is that Onesimus, the name itself, it stands for, it means it's the Greek for useful, Greek word for u- useful, useful. And that's important because as we read, he makes like a word play. He says at one point Onesimus was useless, but now he is useful to both, not only to you, but also to me, to both of us, he's useful. And they used this name Onesimus. It was a very common name in the Roman world. It was a very common name for slaves. And as we see in the rest of the letter, Onesimus was a slave. He was a slave. He was a slave of Philemon. And that should cause us Cause a a shock a little bit. That should make us feel like, wait a second, something doesn't feel right. Because Paul was saying all of these great things about Philemon. He said that he had agape for God's people, that he had pistis for Jesus, that he had refreshed the hearts of the church but now we're discovering that he was a slave master who owned onesimus slavery is wrong a hundred percent that that shock and us feeling wait wait why is paul saying these good things to a slave master that should cause us to be like wait a second, what's going on here? And that, that, that questioning, that shock is Christian. It is a good thing. It is a good thing to see that this is not r- right to a degree. But we have to put ourselves in their shoes. The type of slavery that was taking place in Rome is not, was not the type of slavery that was taking place here in the States about 200 years ago. The type of slavery was different. It was distinct. Of course, all slavery is wrong, 100%. Christianity is against slavery, no, no doubt about it. But the Christian abolition movement, the abolition of slavery, it took place over time. And I think that it started from this letter in Philemon. At least this letter really supported that movement, because when we, when we think of this letter, we, we see Onesimus not necessarily as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. But again, it's helpful to not put our American type of slavery on top of the Roman type of slavery. Both of them were horrible, but slavery in Rome was different. The Romans did believe that slavery was wrong. They kept it intact because it really benefited them financially. But they thought that each human was free, that no human should be under a slave master. And here we see that Onesimus was under Philemon. And they would have thought that it was wrong, but a necessary evil because it would keep the economy going. But another thing about slavery that might be kind of interesting to all of you is that some people sold themselves into slavery out of necessity. They willingly sold themselves into slavery because sometimes as a slave, you would make more money than as a free person during the Roman times. Again, slavery is still bad. Thankfully, it's abolished, but we're dealing with a different type of slavery. Something even more shocking is that parents would sell their children into slavery because some parents believed that they would have better chances... That their children would have a better future if they were sold into a wealthy family. Because in the Roman era, slaves, some slaves were educated. Some slaves were doctors. Some slaves were, um, they were farmers and writers. They wrote poetry. Some of them wrote philosophy. And some of them were also even believe you will 't believe this they they were city officials some of some slaves were politicians, so slavery during the Roman world was different. It was still wrong to say that somebody had authority over another individual that's totally wrong, but beep beep. <laughs> but um, we, we we know that It was a different type of slavery. Even slaves owned slaves back during the Roman era. And about 25 to 40 percent of the Roman population were slaves. So it was a significant amount. And it happened that Onesimus was one of these slaves and he belonged to Philemon. Onesimus, he became a Christian so he, was, he became useful to not only Philemon, because he was his slave, but he also became useful to Paul. And Paul even said that he was his own heart. So that we could say this is Paul's. <laughs> okay. So Onesimus, this individual, this slave, he was the very heart of Paul, the very heart of Paul. So this is basically meaning, so this letter, he's writing to Philemon, to the slave master of Onesimus, and he's saying, okay, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. And it could be that perhaps Onesimus is taking this letter with him and he's giving, him, giving it to Philemon. Or maybe um, he sent the letter beforehand and Onesimus is about to arrive to Philemon's house. It, it, those are two theories that scholars have thought of. Um, but he's, he says when he's sending Onesimus, Paul says, I'm sending my own heart. So here is Paul sending a slave back to his slave master and saying, this is my very heart, referring to the slave. And that's the type of closeness that the church should have. Paul was essentially saying, however you treat Onesimus, Philemon, however you treat the slave, it's as if you're treating me. Onesimus is part of me, a part of who I am. That's the type of relationship that the church should have with one another. We should be able to say to one another, however you treat my brother, however you treat my sister in Christ, you're treating me. That's how Paul saw it. So if somebody treats somebody with kindness within the family of Christ, you feel that they treated, they were kind to you, that they welcomed you as well. And he became useful, as I said. He became useful because he was able to help with the mission of the church as well. Paul said that while he was in prison, Onesimus was helping him preach the gospel, help him on behalf of Philemon. Paul would have liked for Philemon to be there in prison, but Philemon had other things to do, maybe business errands to do. But Onesimus was there with him, and Paul believed that Onesimus, or he actually witnessed Onesimus help him with the mission of the church. And we should all know what the mission is of the church. What is the mission of the church? If you think about it, you should certainly think about the Great Commission when you're considering this, Matthew 28, 19, I believe where it says that, therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. That is the mission of the church. And Onesimus, the slave who was transformed, the slave was helping Paul with the mission of making disciples. Paul would have liked to keep Onesimus with him so he could continue preaching the gospel. So together, however Onesimus was helping him, they could do it together and be effective. But Paul sent Onesimus back. That should cause us to have a question. First of all, how how did Onesimus even get to Paul? Let's just Clear that before we go to this question that I wanted to think about. How did Onesimus get there? There's two primary theories. The first one is that Philemon sent Onesimus as an envoy taking gifts to Paul. And he stayed there longer than he should have stayed there. And that's why Paul feels like, hey, accept this guy differently and lovingly. The other view is this, and this is the one that I'm inclined to believe. Onesimus ran away from Philemon. Onesimus was a runaway slave. We don't know the details, but for some reasons, I, I do believe he was a runaway slave because it seems like he's in bad, bad standing with Philemon. Um, but he ran away and he either found himself in, in Ephesus or in Rome and in he probably overheard that Paul was nearby, that Paul was in one of the prisons. So he made his way to Paul in the prison. And there, Paul preached the gospel to him. And Onesimus became a Christian. He became a Christian. And now Paul is sending him back to Philemon. During the Roman era, most, a lot of slave masters didn't, they didn't hurt their slaves. Why? Because slaves w- were considered to be valuable property. So it would just be a waste of money if you're just hurting them. But out of disciplinary measures, they, were, they would punish their slaves. So this is the question that I want us to ponder. Why is Paul sending Onesimus back to Philemon? When he knows that Philemon could possibly punish Onesimus. Punish him for running away. Why is Paul sending him back? And if you go back to the passage we were reading in your notes, you could find it. Verse 14. And it tells us, I am sending him back. I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. The reason that Paul is sending Onesimus back even though Onesimus could help him with his ministry is that Paul valued the consent of Philemon over his own ministry. He wanted... Consent. He wanted to say, to get from Philemon, is it okay that Onesimus is helping me with this? And by doing this, by making this appeal, he is putting himself, Paul and Philemon, and uh, Onesimus, I mean, Paul and Onesimus, they're putting themselves under the authority, uh, under the mercy of. Philemon. And that's kind of interesting to consider because here we have an apostle that could easily make a command. He has the authority to do that. He is over several churches, but yet he doesn't use his, uses his command. Instead, he puts himself under Philemon, under his ministry. And what is he doing? He's putting the ball into his court, to his hands, Philemon. It's all up to Philemon. We use this illustration, you know, the ball's in your court, right? We use that illustration to talk about it's your decision. It's your choice to do what you want to do with the ball. Of course, I could have kept the ball. Of course, Paul could have kept the ball and he could have done whatever he wanted to do. But he gave the ball to Philemon. And now it's up to Philemon whether he is going to make the shot, do the right thing, or do the wrong thing. But whatever the case may be, it's up to Philemon and Philemon alone. Paul, he's giving Philemon the opportunity, the chance to do the right thing, not out of authority, but out of He wants, Paul wants Philemon to do the right thing, to receive Onesimus as the heart of Paul, as a brother in Christ. He wants the slave master to accept the slave as a brother in Christ. And he wants her to do it voluntarily, or in other words, out of free will. There's so much we could learn from this picture, from the passage that we read. And I do want us to process it and think about it. There's so many times that Church leaders could abuse their authority and command you to do things, use their authoritative command, and certainly I will do that, especially in terms of doctrine. But at the same time, I don't want to rob you from your free will. I don't want to rob you so you could make the play, so you could make the shot. I don't want to rob you from choosing to act out of love. I could easily tell you to do the, the right thing, to stop being bitter towards somebody. Paul could have easily commanded and Philemon would have obeyed. I could easily command and you, you, out of respect, you're like, I see you as an authority in my life. I'm going to do it and great, you do it. But as we see here, if I do that, if Paul did that, we are robbing you from the opportunity To act out of free will, act out of love. So that you make the decision, not because somebody told you, but because down in your heart, your life has been changed and you want to welcome this brother. Not because Paul told you, but because my heart has been changed because of Christ. And I want to welcome this person no longer as a slave, but as a brother. I want us to process this and look at this. You know, reading this letter sometimes reminds me of what Elida and I, we go out to a restaurant or we go downtown and we just people watch and uh, sometimes overhear conversations that other people are having and we're trying to connect the dots the best that we can. And that's kind of like what we're doing here. We're we're overhearing a conversation that Paul is having with Philemon. We don't have all the details, but we try to make the best of what is happening. We try to understand what is taking place between Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. And this small conversation that they're having, it makes a big difference. I don't know if you guys have heard about it. You probably have if you're into sci-fi, but there's, there's this term called the butterfly effect. And it's the idea that small things can make big differences. It actually came from this guy named Edward Lawrence, uh, who, who studied tornadoes. And he believed that the small events like butterflies flapping their wings could cause a tornado. If these, all of these small events add up together, it could cause a tornado. And we live in a complex world, so that is certainly possible. And that is what we're seeing today. Small things can make a big difference. This small letter that Paul wrote to Philemon, a letter about a runaway slave. We are looking at it 2,000 years later. So who would have thought during the time of Paul that this event, that this could cause so much change, that one day that this letter would be used to call for the abolishment of of slavery. Paul wouldn't have imagined the details, but here we are, this small little letter changing lives even now. It is causing us to ponder, to think about faith, to think about the church, about family, about free will, about church authority, and even about reconciliation. Now, I end with this story. There was this influential preacher who died in 2011. His name was John Stott. And in an interview, he he was honest about his family ties. He was actually single his entire life. He didn't have family. He didn't have kids. He felt lonely, and in the interview he admitted that he was envious for those who did have families, but he said this in the interview, in addition, single people are wise to develop as many friendships as possible with people of all ages and both sexes. For example, although I have no children of my own, I have hundreds of adopted nephews and nieces all over the world who call me Uncle John. I cherish these affectionate relationships. They greatly lessen, even if they do not altogether deaden, occasional pangs of loneliness. He felt that through these relationships, even though he didn't have family, he was able to build these relationships, and this relationship were able to lessen these feelings of loneliness. He's following what Paul did. Paul, as we know, he, as we know, as we can know through the scriptures, he didn't have family. We don't see a case of a wife. Maybe he became widowed. We're not exactly sure, but we do not hear him talking about any biological sons or daughters. But what he did have, he had. Daughters and sons in the faith. He had a family wherever he went. Christians, the church, that's his family, and we are part of his family, even though he passed away a long time ago. But this reminds us what the church is also all about. The church is not about building an empire. The church is about building a family. It's about relationships. It's about people. We're probably not going to have as many sons as Paul or, or John Stott did, because we don't travel as much. But that's beside the point. All of us, we have ties to this family. We are all related to one another. And just as Paul, he took the time because Onesimus was family. He took the time to invest in Onesimus, a slave. And he even took time to invest in Philemon, a slave master. We should likewise, we should follow his example and invest in our brothers and sisters and invest in one another. We are family. And in this family, who no one forces anybody to act in a certain way we don't coerce anybody to do a certain thing no we act freely out of free will and hopefully we grow in our love in our faith in christ in our walk and i end with this i i hope that you take time to pray pray to the spirit of god ask holy spirit Ask them, what can I do this week so I could act on the basis of love? How could I treat other people as if they are brothers and sisters? How could I refresh their hearts? And if you're not a Christian, what is holding you back from joining the family of God? God didn't design you to live alone. He designed you to live in community. And I pray that you would take the necessary steps today and this week to join the family of Christ. If you have any questions, feel free to DM us or talk to me. But without going any further, let us all pray as we get ready to worship. Jesus Christ, thank you for this small letter that could cause so much thinking and so much change. I pray that as this letter has brought change over history and brings it may bring change to our lives today, that we may not see other people as less, but we may see other people as your heart, the heart of Christ, as people who bear your image. Let us treat one another in love. Let us have freedom on this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.